Okay, so we're now doing Friday's portion of Parshat Vayishkach. And of course, yesterday's was actually quite long. We had the whole tragic incident with Dina. We had post that, two brothers, Shimon and Levi, destroying the entire city of Shechem. Yet after that, God saying to Jacob, go to Bezkel and transfer there. We have God appearing to Jacob and changing his name from Jacob to Israel. So unlike Abraham and Sarah, once Sarah's name was changed, you never go back. Once Abraham's name was changed, you never go back. By Jacob, he has actually both names, Jacob and Israel. And tremendous blessings that God gives him then. And then we begin today's portion. We're in chapter 35, verse 12. So we just have these beautiful blessings that God gave Jacob and his children. Now the verse continues here. have one more verse here of this. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I will give to you. And to your offsprings after you, I will give the land. Here we have God continuing all these blessings and promising him the blessing for the land of Israel. And God ascended from upon him the place where he had spoken with him. And Rashi says, I don't know what those words come to teach us. Why do we have the words in the place where he had spoken with him? And we know that's where he is. So we see here, actually, it's counted. There are 77 times precisely, of course, 77 as in the number 770, you know, it's a very spiritually significant number. There's 77 times in the scripture where Rashi makes such a comment, where he's saying, I know there's a question, I, I get your question. Of course, there's answers not on the level of the literal meaning of the verse. But my job is to give you the literal meaning of the verse. Shut. And on the literal meaning, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. in testimony, 77 times. But also we see actually in this verse this concept of God being on Jacob. It says, and God ascended from upon him. We say that the, the righteous, the saintly, they're God's chariot. They're, so to speak, carrying and establishing God in this world. And Jacob said of a pillar at the place where God had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured on it a oil offering. Wait. He poured, no, it doesn't. Actually, it's a wine offering. He poured on a wine offering, and then he poured oil on it as well. Then Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Basekel. They journeyed from Basekel, and there was still about kivrath of land to go to Ephrath. And Rachel gave birth and had difficulty in her childbirth. So there's a long Rashi here explaining this term, which is a very difficult term to understand, kivra sa'aret, a kivra of land. What's a kivra? So Rashi gives us three answers. Rashi first gives us someone else's answer, Menachem. There was somebody named Menachem ben Saruk, and he compiled one of the first dictionaries, biblical dictionaries. So he takes words and he explains their meaning from his perspective. And, of course, for every time we're trying to explain a word, you have to look at the root word. And what is the root word? And there might be different options of the root word. So Menachem looks at Kivros and says it's from the word kabir, which means a great quantity. 
So meaning, if it says there's a kivras of land, it means there's a lot of land. It's going to be a long time until you get to Ephrath, and here's Rachel about to give birth on the road. That's Menachem's explanation. Then Rashi gives us an agadic explanation, but obviously whenever Rashi gives an agadic explanation, this is an agadda which has transformed to become part of the literal understanding of the verse. So the agadda looks at a different root word from kivra. The agadda says it's like the word kivra, which means a sieve. Now a sieve is full of holes. So the agadda is saying this is the time of land, a time of year when the land is full of holes meaning when all over this broken ground during the plowing season. In other words, the winter has passed, the heat of the summer hasn't come yet, and this is a time when people plow. So this is a time when all over it's sieve-like land, which would explain why it was difficult to travel. In other words, there's a kiver of land in front of them, and they're not going to make it to the city. Rachel has to give birth on the road. So why couldn't they make it to the city? So from the first explanation, kiver means a lot. It was quite a long trek to Ephraim. According to the second explanation, kivra means the land was thief-like. It was very, very difficult traveling because, you know, with all these animals and children and wives and women in stages of, of, of labor, and, and the ground is so broken up and, and not stable, it's very hard to travel. And Rashi says the simple meaning of the verse is that kivra is actually a measure of land, as he finds a source for that by the story with Naaman. And he says, Rashi says, I say, which is very unusual for us to say, I say, meaning I didn't find this somewhere else. This is my own understanding of this. And I say that it's the measure of land of about a parsa's walk. A parsa is a Persian mile. Um, translated, depending on what opinion you follow, to anywhere between 2.3 to 2.9 miles. So it's a certain measure of land. This measure of land, this Persian mile, 2.3 to 2.9 miles, that's a kivra. So we're saying, it's not a crazy distance, but at this point, 2.9 miles away is the city, she's giving birth on the road. So going back to the verse, and it was when she had difficulty in her labor that the midwife said to her, have no fear, for this one too is a sum for you. Now, it's a very unusual way to say this. So what does this mean, this one too for you is a son? So the simple way is saying, oh, Rachel, this is so nice. Remember how difficult it was for Rachel to have children. She had Joseph seven and a half years ago, meaning for holding track of the chronology of the storyline, as we everyone's well try to remind ourselves to know what we're doing here. Jacob is 63 when he gets blessed by his father twice under the pretense of being Asaph and then again, knowingly, to Jacob. And then he has to run away. He's 14 years studying. So he arrives when he's 77 in the house of Lavan, and then he's in the house of Lavan for 20 years. 14 years after being there is when Joseph is born. That's why Jacob was ready to leave. And then there's still six years that he stays there. So when they leave, Joseph is six years old. And then remember, he's standing so big and tall to protect his beautiful mother from the of evil eyes. After that, Jacob carried on the road. Obviously, he wasn't, like, wasting time. Obviously, this was all part of the spiritual service for another year and a half. In other words, between the encounter with Esau and what happened with Dean and Shem, there was a year and a half where they were in a place called Sukkot in Israel. Now, obviously, now I was thinking as I was learning it, well, didn't Jacob just want to go home already and, and see his parents? And I thought, I guess for 
a saint like Jacob, he probably saw his parents every day and he's probably seen them all the time. You know, it wasn't like us. They, they, they didn't need the telecommunications we need today or the communications people use in those days to be together. So Jacob had his spiritual service to do and he was a year and a half doing it. But at this point, Joseph is seven and a half and here's Rachel expecting. So also, you're going to have another child, meaning, oh good, in addition to Joseph, your first child, this is another one. That's the most simple meaning. But Rashi also brings in another one from the rabbis, which again, if Rashi's bringing in, it means it's part of the literal understanding of the verse, that with every tribe, with every son of Jacob, it was born a twin sister. With Benjamin, it says also, the also is to include something additional beyond the norm. Benjamin, there were two twin girls born. So at this moment, Rachel is giving birth to triplets, a boy and two girls. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she, for she passed away, she, she passed away in childbirth, that she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. Ben-Oni, Rashi says, means the son of my pain. Meaning, here she is through this childbirth, and, and of course she wanted and wanted and wanted to have children, but here at this point, she passed away in giving birth. Which again, remember, really came from that curse with Lovin's encounter with Jacob and the whole story of her taking the idols of her father. So she's saying, this is Ben-Oni, the son of my pain. I'm, I'm dying here. I have my child, but I'm dying. But his father didn't want to talk around with that name, Ben-Oni. His father calls him Benjamin. What's Benjamin? Benjamin, and he was Binyamin. So Rashi gives two explanations on the idea of Binyamin. The first one, he says, is he was the only child of Jacob born in Israel meaning all 11 tribes were born in Haran, to the north of Israel. The only one that came into Israel with his birth was Benjamin, Binyamin. So what does that have to do with the name? Because what it really means here then is like Ben, son of Yemin, like the right side meaning the southern side, because we're here going to the southern side. And really, Rashi's second explanation is really an elaboration on this. It's not a different explanation. It's still looking at it this way. And Rashi's saying that Benjamin, Binyamin, is really a compound word. Ben, son, and the word Yemin, right, meaning the south. In other words, the term right, we find the verses is used for the south. Like there's a verse that says, North and right, you created them. Well, it doesn't mean north. But the word here in the Hebrew for south is Yemin, to the right, to the south. So Ben Yemin, son of the south, because, again, this is the child born in Israel. And Rashi says that's why here, in teaching us this name, his name is spelled with two yuds, it's very clear to us, Ben Yemin. Normally, in the scriptures, when we spell out Benjamin's name, it's normally spelled without the second yud. But here, it has its full spelling to indicate related to the Hebrew word Yemin, the right, the south. Going back to the verse, Rachel died and was buried on the road to Ephra, which is Islacha. So here's Rachel. Passed away, buried in the woods, did not get to the door with Jacob. 
land has to turn to the table. And the place of the patriarchs and matriarchs, the Ma'at and Mahela, Rachel buried on the road. Jacob said a monument of her grave is a monument of Rachel's grave until today. We, we, many, many Jews go there. Many Jews pilgrimage even nowadays. And of course, very dangerous with the Arabs. But we know that where exactly Rachel is buried. And actually, this was something that gave Joseph a lot of pain. Why, why did his father just bury his son on the road? Like, take her to the New York City. He was buried on the road. And Jacob explains many, many years later. And he's on his deathbed. That I, I did this because this is what God wanted. This is what Rachel wanted. Because this way, and we see here again, the same quality we saw before, her complete self-nullification, just as we saw many years before, such a love of nullification that she gave away the sign to Leah. That Leah should be embarrassed, even though it meant giving up her husband to Leah. So also here, she gave away having a normal, more appropriate burial, because she saw in the future that the Jewish people passed on this road when they were going to exile, and she wanted them deliberately to pass by her grave. They were trying to turn, and then she could deceive God. She deceived God with her special marriage, saying, what are you, you're jealous because they served idols? I gave it my husband for victory, and you're jealous of her nothing? It's says truly that all of the patriarchs and matriarchs can't plead with God, but he heard Rachel's words. Both she was, if you want to see the most inspired, having the Jews and she had to say a marriage that she said to God, like, I did it, you can't. So continuing, and Israel journeyed, and he pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. And it came to pass, and here we have also a very uncomfortable verse, I'll explain to you, and it came to pass while Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuven went, and he laid with Bilhah, his father's legacy, his father's concubine, and Israel hurt. And what in the world is going on here? Now, actually, I'm sorry, I did not finish the verse, because this verse is very unusual. There's a stop in the middle of the verse, and then the verse continues, the sons of Jacob were twelve. So what, what's going on here? I mean, this is Reuven. This is the eldest, the firstborn of the tribe. This isn't some primitive... If this is a, a complete fit. The, the, the first part, what's going on? What's he doing? So first, Rashi explains that the opening of this painful verse is when Israel dwelt, again, Israel remembers another term for Jacob, dwelt in that land. So Rashi's saying all of these things happened to him. He didn't yet get back to his father. Isaac lived in Hebron. He was living very close at this point. He's very close to Hebron, but he's not there yet. And all of these misfortunes happened, but he didn't yet get to Hebron. He didn't yet get to Isaac. So what did Reuven do? I mean, you know Reuven's right. This isn't even if we thought, well, maybe he really like what happened. We're going to see as the verse continues, the verse itself emphasizes Reuven's righteousness. So what did he do that at the same time the verse would say this horrible thing? The Rashi said he did not have relationships with Bilhah. But he did something very inappropriate. And it was so inappropriate that the scripture treats him as if he had this relationship. What did he do and what was the problem? What he did was he moved Jacob's bed. Meaning, Jacob had two wives, Leah, Rachel, and the two maids, Bilhah and Zilpah. Bilhah being Rachel's maid and Zilpah being Leah. Now, as we've already mentioned several times, 
Jacob's main wife was Rachel. For her sake, he got all the other three. This was his main wife, which means his official bed, if you will, was in Rachel's tent. And everybody knew that, you know, which obviously was something everyone else had to deal with. After Rachel passed away, Jacob took his bed and he moved it into the tent of Bilhah. Now, obviously, from his perspective, it's like if Rachel's gone, he can because Bilhah was the one connected to her. I married Bilhah for Rachel. If you remember, if you learned the verses then, don't remember, so there's a part of the section we do, that Rachel gave Bilhah to Yaakov to Jacob, saying, like, I will be built up through this main servant. She's like, my Rachel named them as if these were her children, of course, they're Bilhah. But there was that very deep relationship. So, if I don't physically have racial hair, obviously Jacob had other means of communicating as he knew and said to Joseph, your mother wanted to be buried on the road. Well, when did she make that decision? passed away in childbirth, obviously, they had means of communication. But he, continuing his relationship with Rachel, moved his bed to the tent of Bilhah. Now, here's Reuven, who's a very holy person. And he felt so hurt for his mother's honor. Okay. okay. My mother's sister was her rival. I accept that. I mean, she really was supposed to be the wife, and just because my messed up grandfather actually, I, I, I get, I get. But my mother's sister's maidservant should be my mother's rival. It's like, 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 like she was so upset that he just impetuously, and this is of course the problem, he impetuously took the bed of Jacob and he moved it. He said he can't be there. can't be my mother's sister's maid's tent. Was he wrong? Yes, he was absolutely wrong. You don't touch the location of your father's tent. He was absolutely wrong. Did he do anything inappropriate with Philip? But when this person's on a very, very high level, everything they do is looked at with an ultra-precise magnifying glass. And there's a lot expected of them. And obviously here, the, the flaw of Reuven was his impetuousness and his giving in to that hurt and anger and hate and, and responding instead of saying, okay, this is my father, this is Jacob, this is Israel, he knows what he's doing, it hurts, it's painful, and trust him. But the verse, after telling us this horrible founding news about Jacob, about Reuven, is continuing to, to explain, don't think, what I said is what I meant. Don't think what I said is what really happened. Don't think Uve now is a sinner. So how does the verse continue? And there's sort of like a stop in the middle of the verse that the sons of Jacob are 12. So on one level, you could say we're going back to the original topic. I mean, once Benjamin was born, now we have all 12 tribes, so we can count them. But Rashi also brings in a rabbi's interpretation that this is teaching us the sons of Jacob were 12. They were all equal. They were all righteous, for Uvin did not sin. And we see this continued in the next verse, which emphasizes the sons of Leah, Jacob's firstborn Reuven. And like, we have a question, it's like, we, we already read those verses. We didn't forget them. It happened really recently. Why is the, the scripture telling me, by the way, in case you forgot, Reuven's the firstborn, the Rashi says that even at the time of his dishonor, it just happened. He was in his height of his disgrace. The scripture is still calling him the firstborn, and he didn't lose any of these rights over what he did because 
truly, even the scriptures writing in such terms, he retained his saints, and so what he did was right. Have a good shot.